Now, if you do have your Bible with you uh, this morning, please turn back to Matthew chapter 17 uh, as we look at the story of the transfiguration this morning. Now, if you were to name a difficult book of the Bible, I wonder what book you might choose. You might choose Leviticus because, well, Leviticus, part of the laws, lots of sacrifice in it. It's quite difficult at times for us to understand. Maybe you would choose Ezekiel. You ever tried to read Ezekiel? Wow. If you've never tried to read it before, you go home and you try and read Ezekiel. It's lots of thrones with wheels on it and wings and lots of things. Enacted prophecies, very difficult. Revelation? Well, some parts of Revelation are okay. Other parts are really quite difficult. When thinking about difficult books, I'm sure that most of us wouldn't think about the Gospels being difficult. After all, these are stories about Jesus. But there's no doubting that sometimes there are things that happen in the Gospels that are difficult for us to understand and difficult for us even to comprehend. And one such passage is the one that we've read this morning, the story of the transfiguration. Now, when you read this story today and all that happens in it, then there may be a little more than a hint of puzzlement. And indeed, as you read this story today, you might think, that's unbelievable. Or you might think, oh, that can't be real. That must just be made up. It's just a myth. Because how could something like what is said to have happened here really happen? With Jesus changing appearance, with Moses and Elijah appearing, and there being a voice from heaven saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. How could this be true? Well, Peter, who was one of the three disciples who were eyewitnesses to this, Peter, James, and John, Peter anticipates these kind of questions when he writes later on in one of his letters in 2 Peter, where he says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And so all these years later, in one of his letters, Peter is saying, this is true. We didn't just make it up. It wasn't just a story. This was true. And we were eyewitnesses of it. Peter was there. He experienced at what happened. And therefore, though this passage this morning might seem unbelievable through our 21st century lenses, it's important for us to realize that nothing is impossible for God. And to try and work out, you know, why is this passage here? What is it revealing about Jesus? Because surely it has something uh, to say to us this morning. Now, to give some context here, if you've uh, not been with us over the last few weeks, let's uh, remember that that last week in Matthew 16, just to end uh, part of that chapter, 
that for the first time, Jesus begins to teach the disciples what's going to happen to him. Remember a couple of weeks ago that for the very first time, the disciples have said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And because they've finally grasped that, Jesus then goes on and says, this is the kind of Messiah I'm going to be. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And we saw last week how how Peter, and because he was often the, the spokesperson, I'm sure the other disciples too, they were thinking, how can this be? And so remember, we thought last week how, how Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him and say, Jesus, this can never happen to you. This won't happen to you. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to die. And then remember how Jesus in turn then rebukes Peter and tells him what the truth really is. Peter, you've only got in mind the things of man, not the things of God. Now, the last verse from last week's reading was Jesus saying to the disciples, he said this to them, he said, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of God coming in his kingdom. Now, I touched very briefly on that verse last week, reflecting that it wasn't quite clear as to what Jesus was referring to. Was he referring to his resurrection? Was he referring to the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70? Was he referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost when he he says that there were those there who wouldn't experience death before they saw him coming in his kingdom? It could be any of these things, but it seems to me that the most natural reading of this verse refers to what's happening next. In our passage today, in Matthew 17, with the transfiguration... Because just six days later, Jesus takes these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, his closest inner circle, so to speak, and he takes them up a high mountain. Now, it's interesting here, isn't it, that the time frame is specific. I don't think there's anywhere else in Matthew's gospel when there's such a specific time frame. It says after six days, very strange. Now, this might be alluding to the period of time that Moses waited on Mount Sinai before receiving the Ten Commandments. So maybe harking back to that. We also don't know what mountain they went up. It was a high mountain. That's all we know. Could have been Mount Tabor, Mount Hermon. No one knows which mountain it was. But what we do know is when they are up this high mountain, that something amazing happens. Something incredible happens. Because Jesus is transfigured. Now that word transfigured is a strange one, isn't it? Isn't it? Do you use that every day? You don't use that every day. Look, I've just, you know, transfigured my raw egg into an omelette. You don't kind of use that kind of terminology, do you? But the word used here is the root for where we get the word metamorphosis. For which we think of something like a a butterfly, don't we? Which changes from a caterpillar, pretty ugly, into a wonderful, beautiful butterfly. It changes. And so when Jesus is transfigured, he is changed. That's what we need to realize. 
And note here that the description that we find here in in Matthew's Gospel is an approximation of what happened. Because Jesus' face shone like the sun. In other words, you can't really describe it, but it shone something like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. In Mark's Gospel, it says that Jesus' clothes were whiter than anyone could bleach them. In Luke's Gospel, it says that his clothes were like lightning. There was a change in Jesus' appearance. appearance. It was probably indescribable in a way. But Jesus was different. He was dazzling. He was changed. And then there's more. Because as Jesus is changed, what happens next? Well, there's Moses and Elijah. Two pillars of the the Old Testament. Probably Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. Now, I've often wondered here, how did the disciples know that's who they were? They never met Moses or Elijah before. They died many, many years before. It's clear that they know this is Moses. This is Elijah. They recognize them. And we know this from Peter's next statement about putting up shelters for them. Now, I just want to stop for a moment here and ask the question, what is going on here? What is going on? Well, what I want to suggest to you is just for a moment, it's as though the veil is being peeled back. Just for a moment. And there is a glimpse here of the glory of Jesus. You see, the disciples have recognized Jesus as the Messiah. They have recognized him as the Son of God. But now, they see something of what will happen when Jesus will come in his kingdom. They glimpse the glory. They glimpse the glory. They glimpse something of the the spiritual reality of what is happening. Often we just live, don't we, on a, on a physical plane. But there is a spiritual reality. And it's as though, just for a moment, the veil is turned back. And they see Jesus as he truly is. Now, if you or I had seen something like this, I wonder what our reaction would be. What would our reaction be? There are two reactions I want you to notice from this passage today. First of all, Peter says to Jesus, it's good for us to be here. And clearly he wants to to prolong what's going on here because he proposes that they put up uh, three shelters, three tabernacles. Now Luke's gospel helpfully tells us that Peter doesn't, doesn't really know what he's saying. You see, what's happening before them is so amazing, before their very eyes, that Peter just wants to to prolong it. He just wants to, to, to keep being there. But then something else happens. As Peter is speaking and garbling away, he's interrupted. A bright cloud covers them. What's a cloud? A cloud is often a manifestation of God's glory. Remember, that's how God revealed himself to the Israelites. They had to follow the cloud during the day. And when he was in the tabernacle, it was often a cloud that came down. 
when God spoke to Moses. A bright cloud covers him. A voice comes from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then there's the other reaction now. Because when they hear the voice, what happens? The three disciples fall face down on the ground, terrified. And so there are two reactions. Firstly, wanting to prolong being in the the presence of Jesus. Prolonging that experience. And then there is the reaction of being terrified. Now these, I think, are natural reactions to being faced with the glory of God. You see, we want to be in the glory, don't we? We want to be in the glory of God. We long for that day when we will be with God, when we will be with Him forever and ever. But there's also a holy fear. There is a reverence. There is an awe. Why is that? Because God is God. He is so unlike us. He is so majestic, so awesome, so holy, so pure. It's no wonder that the the disciples fall face down to the ground, terrified. You see, maybe in your life there have been times when you've experienced something of the holiness of God. When he has been close and, and there has been a realization of, of, his, of his purity and your own sinfulness. A realization of his, his vastness and your own smallness. There are many stories over the centuries of revival. And what happens in revival? Well, there, there is a shared experience of, of the closeness of God. And what usually happens in that situation? There are people who fall on their knees. They fall face down. Such as the, the closeness of God. Such as the understanding of the, the holiness of God and their own sinfulness. They can only fall on their knees and weep. Faced with this holy God. Maybe you've not experienced that in any great way. But when there is a realization of the purity of God, which is what the brightness and the dazzling clothing is about here in this passage, when you see the purity of God and you feel in a very real way the weight of your own sinfulness and the dirt and the grime of your own soul, have you experienced that? I think we need to experience much more of the holiness and the wonder of God. The disciples experienced the glory and they wanted to stay in, yet they heard the voice and were terrified. And just as a side note here, note that they fell face down. They fell face down. There's been a trend in the church from Toronto blessing days onwards for people to be slain in the spirit and to fall backwards. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm not questioning the veracity of that. The Holy Spirit can move in such ways. But in the Bible, what happens? People don't fall backwards. They fall face down. That's what happens all throughout the Bible. 
They fall face down when they are confronted with the holiness, purity, and glory of God. But just when the disciples are terrified and have fallen on their face, what happens next? Well, just at that moment when they're they're in terror and, and they're on their knees and their faces are flat to the ground, Jesus comes. And he comes and, and touches them. Get up, he says. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And when these three disciples look up, things are back to normal. It's only Jesus with them. You see, before a holy God, who can stand? None of us can. We're all sinners who need God's grace. But Jesus comes to us effectively as he does the disciples here and he touches us and he says, get up and don't be afraid. It's a little picture for us, isn't it? Of what Jesus does for us on the cross. You see, when we come to Jesus, there is no fear in coming before a holy God because Jesus intercedes for us. We don't need to be afraid. And we can stand. Now after this amazing manifestation, again, we might expect Jesus to want the disciples to to share what they've seen. Can you imagine Peter, James and John coming down the mountain and thinking, what what have we just seen? Was that not incredible? Was was it not just mind-blowing? I can't wait to tell Andrew and to tell Philip and to tell the other disciples. Jesus says to keep quiet. Why does he tell them to keep quiet? This is the last time, incidentally, in the gospel he says this to the disciples. He says to keep quiet because the disciples haven't quite yet fully grasped who he is and all he has come to do. But what is clear is that the disciples are now fully convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. They are fully convinced of that. They've confessed it. Peter's confessed it. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now they have experienced it. And as they're coming down the mountain, you can just imagine their their minds are whirring. And they're probably thinking about what they've seen and, you know, what they've declared about Jesus. And they're, they're thinking clearly here, we've just seen Elijah. And we've just seen Moses. And they know in the Old Testament in Malachi that it was prophesied that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And so they're trying to, to make sense of all this. They're thinking, you know, Elijah should have come and then the Messiah. And if Jesus is the Messiah, then who is Elijah? And this is where Jesus reveals that John the Baptist was the forerunner. That John the Baptist was the Elijah that was to come. And so what I want you to see this morning is that slowly and surely things are are beginning to fall into the place where the disciples. I wonder if any of you here have been doing Wordle. Have you been doing Wordle? Oh yes, there's a few of you. Okay. Bit of a phenomenon. You do it every morning. Can you do it in five? Can you do it in four, three, two? You've got to try and get a five-letter word. You have to guess what it is. You put in your letters, and then if the letters and the five-letter word are in the right place, there's a green square. 
If they're the right letter but in the wrong place, they're a yellow square and you've got to try and work out the word. In many ways for the disciples, this is like a wordle. They're trying to put things in place. And they've maybe got a few letters in the right place and one in the wrong place, but slowly they're making sense of it. They're working out who Jesus is. And that will continue. It's an ongoing process, isn't it? So I want you to see this morning is that these three disciples got a glimpse of the glory. Just a glimpse. They saw Jesus in his purity. They saw his identity confirmed by Moses and Elijah. They heard the voice from the cloud. The voice of the Father confirming Jesus to be God's own Son. It's a lot for the disciples to take in, isn't it? It's a lot for us to take in too. But what I want you to see this morning is that God is so glorious, so awesome, so amazing, so holy. Have you experienced that in your life? And yet when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we don't need to be afraid before this holy, almighty God. Because Jesus says, rise, get up, don't be afraid. Here we have a glimpse of the glory, a glimpse of the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I long to be there. Do you not long for that deep in your soul? What does Paul often talk about? He says we are aliens living in a foreign land. He's not talking about us being little green men and little green women. He's talking about us being strangers, that we don't belong here on earth, that our citizenship is in heaven. Do we not long to be with God? That's what Paul longed for, wasn't it? I long to be with Jesus, don't you? We almost sang the hymn this morning, uh, Blessed Assurance. I've changed it for Shine, Jesus, Shine. I thought that was appropriate. But we almost sung Blessed, Blessed Assurance this morning. And in that hymn it says this, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. A foretaste of glory divine. That's what we see in this passage today. And we look forward to that day. When it's not just a foretaste. But it is the reality. When we will live with God. Forever. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, there are many parts of Scripture which are, are difficult for us to understand, perhaps difficult for us to get our mind around. And as we look at this passage today, perhaps we find it unbelievable. We might wonder to ourselves, how could this happen? How could it be that Jesus was changed in such a way that his face was shining and his clothes were dazzling? How could it be that Moses... And Elijah were manifested and were there with him. 
How could it be that from the brightness of that cloud there came a voice from heaven declaring Jesus to be God's Son? Lord God, in many ways we would have reacted the same way as the disciples. Perhaps to begin with we would have just gabbled on like Peter did, not knowing quite what to say or quite what to do, but just knowing that this was something spectacular, something amazing. And that we long to stay in that moment. But Lord God, perhaps we would also have the reaction of terror. Of holy fear before a holy and almighty God. Lord God, we recognize today that you are so different to us. You are our creator. You are our redeemer. You are so holy and so pure in all your ways, so perfect. And as we understand something of your glory, we understand something of our own inadequacy and that we can only fall on our faces before you. But we thank you for that part of our passage today where Jesus simply touches the disciples, tells them to rise, And not to be afraid. And we thank you that because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Interceding for us. Paying the price for our sin. So that when we believe and trust in Jesus. We are covered by his righteousness. Though our sins be as scarlet. They are made as white as snow. And so therefore. When we come into your presence Lord God. You don't see our dirtiness, our griminess, and our sin. But you see the righteousness of Christ. Lord God, we long for that day. That day when we will be in your presence. That day when we will worship you forever. And we look forward to that day when we will see you in your glory. So, Heavenly Father, encourage our hearts today. Strengthen our faith in you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.